We'll hear argument this morning in case 15-474, McDonald versus United States. Hey everyone, this is Leon from Fiasco and Prologue Projects. On this week's episode of 5 to 4, Peter, Rhiannon, and Michael are talking about McDonnell v. United States. The case centers around a sitting governor, Bob McDonnell of Virginia, granting political favors in exchange for a series of gifts. Prosecutors say McDonald and his wife received a free vacation at a multi-million dollar home along with the use of a Ferrari. They allegedly got $15,000 to help pay for catering their daughter's wedding and $20,000 to pay down credit card debt. It might seem intuitive that this is bribery and therefore illegal. The Supreme Court does not see it that way. In a unanimous decision, the court determined the governor's favors weren't official acts, and on that basis, overturned his conviction by a lower court. This is 5 to 4, a podcast about how much the Supreme Court sucks. Welcome to 5 to 4, where we dissect and analyze the Supreme Court cases that have caused our nation to collapse like my wife when she works out after forgetting to eat. <laughs> I'm Peter. I'm here with Rhiannon. Hey, solidarity. It's hard to remember to eat. <laughs> and Michael. Hi, everybody. Disagree. It's not hard to remember <laughs> to eat. <laughs> Your body always sends you helpful reminders, <laughs> like hunger pangs. What's hard is to be legally and morally obligated to the well-being of another person. Yeah. And that person is like... Going on 6 p.m. having eaten just a carrot that day. <laughs> Trying to do a yoga flow. Peter, when your wife collapsed, did you just sit here and berate her that she took an oath to care for you? <laughs> what are you thinking? You have a responsibility <laughs> to me. I shouldn't have to remind her. I just throw the marriage certificate at her. Slide it under her unconscious head. Is she eating now? Yeah. I fed her several cheese balls and she is now up and alert. That's amore. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to the new year. <laughs> A whole new year of five to four. And today's case, McDonald v. United States. This is a case about bribery. After doing the show for nearly three years now, it's rare that there is a topic we haven't covered, but we have not discussed the bribery of public officials. Most people, I think, are aware of the various ways in which the Roberts Court has facilitated government corruption by loosening restrictions on campaign finance, for example. But what has often flown under the radar are the ways in which they have functionally legalized many types of of out-and-out bribery. Yeah. In this case, former Virginia Governor Robert McDonnell was prosecuted, tried, and convicted by a jury of bribery. In exchange for various financial gifts, McDonnell had helped a tobacco-slash-nutritional supplement executive secure publicly funded research related to a compound found in tobacco. He appealed his conviction on the basis that he did not technically violate the bribery law. What he claimed was that all he did was make some calls and set up some meetings for his tobacco executive buddy, which he argues is not enough to qualify as quid pro quo bribery. And the Supreme Court unanimously <laughs> agreed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's 2023 right. special. It's a bribery <laughs> case. 
It's a unanimous decision. <laughs> all right. We love it when the ideologically diverse Supreme Court gets all on the same page. Yeah. Uh-huh. Says, Here they agree. Bribery is good. <laughs> right? Finally, some consensus, you know? <laughs> Okay, yeah, so let's jump in. Let's just do a rundown of the facts. And I want everyone listening to ask themselves if they think this is corruption. These acts are acts of bribery of a public official because the facts are agreed upon, right? Like, there's no conflict about what happened. Mm -hmm. The only conflict is about whether the Supreme Court thinks this behavior should count as corruption, as bribery. Right. So let's get in here. Republican Bob McDonnell was elected governor of Virginia in 2009, and he took office in 2010. Uh, His campaign slogan was Bob's for Jobs. This is a time of, you know, economic recession in the country. He's running on a improving the economy in Virginia platform. What a quaint time. Yeah. Yeah. Bob's for Jobs. Wins. Yeah, that's all it takes. He and his wife, Maureen, were familiar with public service, though. Bob had been a longtime state rep in Virginia and then the attorney general of Virginia. But kind of from the beginning, it's clear that this guy and his family have like financial problems. In 2010, they had $90,000 in credit card debt. And a couple years later, a real estate business that Bob McDonald ran with his sister had debt totaling $2.5 million. So enter one Johnny Williams, the CEO of Star Scientific, which was a company that had been a tobacco company, but by this time was working on developing and marketing a nutritional supplement that was made from a tobacco derivative. (laughs) Can can we pause and talk about how fake this company is? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It literally sold cigarettes, I believe. Yes, they did. And then moved away from that into nutritional supplements. Right. Yeah. After this case, they ended up shelving their products, right? The one that's like at issue here is called like Anatoblock. Yeah. That's like based on this compound Anatobine that's in tobacco. The other nutritional supplement health product that they had to discontinue after this negative publicity was called Sig Rx. <laughs> C-I-G-R-X Like, are you fucking kidding me? How is it legal to name your product Sig-R-X? Yeah. Sig-R-X Just Sig-Medicine Just right. Cigarette Medicine Like, so fake company But so American fake company right? Oh, yes Oh, yes Sig-R-X sounds like a fake product In, like, a movie or a book about yes. a dystopian yes. future. Exactly. Right. right. So, yeah, at this time, they are working on developing and marketing this nutritional supplement. It's made from a tobacco derivative. But this snake oil needed research backing, right? Johnny Williams really needed the lift in the company's stock that would result if a research university announced a trial launch of this supplement. So Williams starts meeting with Governor McDonald and his wife, and they start making plans to work together. They first meet in 2009 during McDonald's campaign for governor when Williams offered McDonald transportation on his private jet to assist the campaign. Hmm. McDonald agreed to introduce Williams to Virginia's Secretary of Health and Human Resources. That meeting didn't end up doing anything for Williams because the Secretary of Health and Human Resources was really skeptical of the science behind this supplement. 
There's some discussion in emails of Johnny Williams helping Maureen McDonald, the governor's wife, with the clothing budget for the inauguration. That wasn't ever clearly proven, but they did clearly strike a deal the next year when the governor's wife told Williams she would get him a seat next to the governor at an upcoming political rally. And in return, Williams took her on a shopping spree to the tune of $20,000. She was at Louis Vuitton. She was at Oscar de la Renta. And so Johnny Williams gets a seat next to the governor at the next big rally. The governor and his wife also hosted a big launch event for the supplement at the governor's mansion, where $25,000 checks were handed out by Williams to state researchers at UVA and VCU. The McDonald's asked for a $50,000 loan from Williams after that launch party, but Williams complains that the research isn't getting up and going fast enough. So Maureen McDonald facilitates meetings between Williams and officials at UVA and VCU to get the research study started. And what do you know? Williams sends over $50,000. There are multiple loans over this period given by Williams to the McDonald's, as well as Williams paying for their daughter's wedding, taking the governor on golf trips, lending the governor his Ferrari, letting the McDonald's stay at his vacation home gifting them iPhones and clothes and a Rolex watch that was engraved with the words 71st governor of Virginia. (laughs) Again, worth noting, this is like people who were in all sorts of personal debt, like 90K of credit card debt Mm. and 2.5 mil in a business. And they're like finagling their influence for Rolexes. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Mm. Just... No concern about the actual debt. They're just trying to pad up the gifts. It's just sort of sick. Yeah, extremely vapid. I don't know if they're not concerned or if they are just so shallow that they have to grab at the Rolexes, the Ferraris, etc. Yeah, I think that's what it is. And so the whole time they're being like kind of wined and dined by... Williams and getting all these gifts from him, Governor McDonnell is talking about this supplement with various government officials in Virginia. He's talking about how state employees should start taking the supplement. He's following up with public health officials about what's going on with the research. And Maureen, his wife, is buying, selling, and gifting star scientific stock. So... A couple of weeks after Governor McDonnell leaves office and the McDonnells move out of the governor's mansion, they are indicted on federal charges of corruption for accepting improper payments and gifts from Johnny Williams. They go to trial, like Peter said, and a jury finds them guilty, sentences them to prison, but they appeal their conviction. By the way, the Fourth Circuit, the appellate court, affirms that conviction, says, yeah, sounds right. Mm -hmm. But the McDonald's appeal it from there, and that's how we get to the Supreme Court. Now, one more kind of funny note that this story reportedly only breaks. The feds only get a tip-off after a chef in the governor's mansion (laughs) is accused of stealing food. (laughs) And in, like, retaliation or whatever, he basically (laughs) leaks the story that Johnny Williams had paid for McDonald's daughter's wedding. (laughs) (laughs) That's so fucking good. Got his ass, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You can just see, like, 
They're like, sir, like we've caught you stealing. And he's like, are you fucking kidding me? I took some food. Do you know where the governor's money comes from? Exactly. Blows the whole thing up. It was about to be like the best revenge arc of all time until the Supreme Court steps in and ruins it. Yeah. Now, folks, you might be picking up on something that I immediately picked up on when we prepped this and I heard about the wife receiving these gifts from this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said, it sounds a little bit like they're fucking. <laughs> yeah, he did. And he did say that. I said it immediately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, if I was the governor of the state, you can bribe me all you want. You start buying my wife fur coats. <laughs> you kidding yeah. me, bro? You think I'm going to let some fake tobacco company executive <laughs> buy my wife fur coats? Oscar de la Renta? No, 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 Absolutely no. not. Absolutely not. And then we found out that one of the wife's defenses, because the wife and the husband sort of, they lawyered up separately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the wife's defenses was just, look, I wasn't being bribed. I had a thing for this guy. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Yep. He was showering me with gifts because we were horny. Yeah. Not because I was accepting bribes. <laughs> These were gifts d'amour. Okay. And I would have liked yeah. to see the Supreme Court address that argument directly. <laughs> this was foreplay. <laughs> this was rich people foreplay. Yeah. She said she like hated her husband, right? She said like the marriage was basically over. We were barely speaking. Tobacco executive is uh, a little grass is greener on the other side, right? <laughs> yeah. Imagine, though, the downgrade of (laughs) your husband is the governor of Virginia. And then like the next guy you sleep with is the head of a tobacco slash nutritional supplement like fucking MLM or whatever (laughs) this is. (laughs) Right. Someone who's going to be hawking drugs on Alex Jones. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Like I get that he's rich, but come on. (laughs) So let's talk about the law. The law in question is primarily the Hobbs Act, uh, which has a provision that applies to the bribery of public officials. The law says that if you are a public official, you cannot receive anything of value in exchange for, quote, being influenced in the performance of any official act. So McDonald and his wife received $175,000 worth of gifts and, you know, other stuff. Yeah. In exchange, he set up meetings, hosted events for the company at the governor's mansion, contacted government officials to press the company's agenda, etc. Right. Yeah. Pretty basic quid pro quo situation, open and shut. Right. You'd think so. Mm. But McDonald argues that none of these things qualify as official acts. Remember, it's only illegal to accept gifts in exchange for being influenced in the performance of any official act. He says that the term official act shouldn't include things like setting up meetings or hosting events, but only specific decisions that the government itself actually makes, like awarding a contract or passing legislation. And the Supreme Court unanimously agrees with that, with the opinion being written by Chief Justice John Roberts. The opinion starts off with a tortured textual analysis, one of the worst things I've ever read in my life. (laughs) So bear with me for a second. The law defines an official act as any decision or action on any question, matter, suit, 
cause, proceeding, or controversy which may at any time be pending or which may by law be brought before any public official. A mouthful, but the bottom line is that the law is saying a public official cannot accept payment in exchange for taking action on official matters. Right. So the court is trying to figure out whether any of the things the governor did for the company, setting up meetings, hosting events, networking with government officials, etc., qualify as taking an action on the matter of the relevant tobacco research. Now, if you're hearing those words literally in your brain, <laughs> it might seem like the governor violated the law, right? Right. Right. He set up meetings, he hosted events, he contacted officials on Williams' behalf. Those are actions, and they are concerning the matter of the tobacco research. A to B. Right. But the court says, no, they don't count. Roberts says that setting up meetings or hosting events or otherwise trying to promote the study does not qualify as an action on the issue of whether to initiate the study. But like, yes, it does. (laughs) It's an action designed to help initiate the study. Right. I guess the only analogy I can think of is that if you were walking across the room to press a button and you're like lifting up your finger above the button and then pressing down. Roberts is like, no, no, he's not taking, he's not doing it yet. He's yeah. not doing right. it yet. Until your finger makes contact with the button. Or right. is it perhaps when the button is all the way pressed down? Right, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. You might not know this, but your finger never actually makes contact with the button. It's the strong nuclear force <laughs> in the week. You're just <laughs> promoting pushing the button. Picture a diagram in the Supreme Court reporter of a button and like how it works. <laughs> this is like this through the looking glass moment when you're reading this and this unanimous court is yeah. just sort of telling you that the words you're reading don't mean what we all know that they mean. Exactly. Right. Right. An argument that you need very special training to understand. I think yeah. Harvard Law School <laughs> Or jamming a screwdriver through your eye socket (laughs) into your brain and then rotating it really fast around. That's only two ways. Only two ways. (laughs) I think it is time for a quick break. Okay, we are back. If you like step back from this, right? Step back from the convoluted reasoning here. The governor, in exchange for money used his official capacities to promote the agenda of a tobacco company, right? Mm -hmm. He is using the influence of the office to reward a person who gave him money. Quid pro quo. That's what bribery is, right? And that's what the law is trying to capture with all that broad language. It should be that simple. And it takes a special kind of lawyer brain to sort of talk yourself out of that basic reasoning by convincing yourself that like hosting events and setting up meetings don't count as actions on the matter or whatever, right? Right. What I think is actually happening here is Roberts is doing some policymaking. He's ignoring the literal definition of the words in the statute and replacing them with what he thinks they should mean. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. But he can't admit that he's doing that. So he has to like redefine all of these words until he's like, yeah, setting up meetings doesn't count as an action. And you're like, I guess supposed to buy that after reading 
three or four pages of him analyzing text, at which point your brain is just a fine mush. Yeah. As if someone jammed a screwdriver through your eye socket. <laughs> right. That's the functional. <laughs> I think that's what he's doing here is just sort of winding his way through this nonsense logic. And by the end of it, he's just like, and that is why the word action right. does not mean what you, the dumb normal reader, <laughs> thinks it means. It's hallucinatory. <laughs> it is hallucinatory is how to put I was trying to articulate how I felt about it to you guys, and it's like reading something in a dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't feel like you're ever quite pinpointing it. Like your eyes are squinting, but you can't focus. Right. It's just ma 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 in the background. Yeah, it's like the. I think I've described it as the cadence of logic before, mm-hmm. and that's what he he's just like doing this like little cadence, like da da da. This word means this, and this word means this, and therefore this. But it like never quite comes together in your brain because it just doesn't make sense. He is the worst writer on the court. It's not close. Yeah. Whenever I see his name at the top of an opinion, I'm just like fuck. <laughs> this, this is gonna suck i'm shocked there aren't concurrences yeah like it's unanimous right like everybody yeah. agrees with the holding apparently even the liberals by the way the liberals on the court at this time are Stephen breyer elena kagan sonia sotomayor and ruth bader ginsburg mm-hmm. <laughs> all of them apparently agree that there's no quid pro quo here this is not bribery this is not corruption Uh, Cool. But I do wonder, like, they all signed on to this majority opinion, too, right? Like, not even a concurrence to just sort of, like, explain in a little bit more logic-y way. None of that. Just 9-0, everybody with this opinion. Yeah. I think this is one where, like, the chief took the hit for the team. Right. Because let's be real, there isn't a good way to write this opinion. (laughs) Right. And you see this, like, in the constitutional argument as well. So in addition to this tortured textual argument, there is a constitutional argument. You will be shocked to know that in this constitutional argument saying that like the government's interpretation of the laws here would raise constitutional concerns. They don't actually cite any portions of the constitution or constitutional provisions that would be concerning <laughs> at all. Like they, they say the concern is substantial but they don't say how or why. They say that Section 201 prohibits quid pro quo corruption. And in the government's view, nearly anything a public official accepts from a campaign contribution to lunch counts as a quid. And nearly anything a public official does from arranging a meeting to inviting a guest to an event counts as a quo, you know, as a this and a that. But like, what are we talking about here? They're describing this like the government's like he read an email and then took a shit or something. <laughs> he accepted $175,000 right. and then put them in contact with various government officials in charge of the policy that they want enacted. Exactly. Pressured public officials to enact their preferred policy, held events at the governor's <laughs> mansion. <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like, right. what are you talking about? Right. It's right. so insane. Yeah. Like, it's it's absolutely nuts. Like, I love the idea of the clerks here, the Supreme Court clerks, being like, okay, so no citations here? Like, we're just... Right. I, what amendment, Mr. Chief Justice? Like, are we concerned about? Like, <laughs> Well, okay. So first of all, in, in this section, he tries to, like, imply 
that if you read the statute about bribery too broadly, you'll interfere with like representative democracy. Right. Yeah. The idea that like constituents should be able to approach their representatives, mm-hmm. talk about their concerns and be heard. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And he poses the hypothetical of a homeowner who invites a public official to, quote, their annual outing to the ball game. <laughs> And then later asks the official about a situation where his neighborhood lost power for five days. Now, this is Roberts trying his best to think about how this law might impact a normal person. Right. And he's like, okay, what do normal people do? (laughs) Oh, they invite their favorite politicians to an annual outing at a sporting event. Yeah. Of course. We go to the Rangers game once a year and we yeah. invite Governor Abbott. I, that's what we do, okay? I'm going to get on the email and email Governor Luhan Grisham after this episode and see if she'll come with me to an isotopes game or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I'm being accused of engaging in corruption. I'm simply a regular Joe hosting the governor of New York at the Westminster Dog Show. <laughs> My poodle is the reigning champion in the hip dysplasia category. And I need to talk to the governor about something that happened on my block. What are you supposed to do if you're a regular constituent who is simply inviting politicians to take your private plane out to your mysterious Caribbean island for a long weekend? And in exchange, you ask for a couple of FBI investigations to be deprioritized. I guess that's illegal now. I guess we don't live in a democracy. I can't I can't talk to my representative. I thought we lived in a democracy. <laughs> it's it's fucking nuts. This opinion is it's so wild. Insane. Like it's substantively insane. Like I yeah. can't get over it. Like yeah. I was going nuts reading it. I had to go outside uh, to, to like, I just put in a basketball hoop and I started using it very quickly after I started reading this opinion. I was like, I got to go burn off some of this energy. Yeah. You know what like really pissed me off about reading it is this faux concern about representative democracy, right? Oh, yeah. Talking about like oh, constituents must have these like open channels of communication with their representatives, that kind of thing. No mention whatsoever of the fact that Governor McDonald's constituents did speak. They spoke very clearly when they convicted him of bribery (laughs) and sentenced him to two years in prison. Yeah. Those were Virginia constituents, right? Like, it's just ridiculous. They make it seem like this is a slippery slope. Like, oh, if we make this illegal, if it's illegal to get Rolexes in exchange for public research, then it might also be illegal to like make a campaign donation of $8 and then like (laughs) go ask the politician to help with poverty in your neighborhood. And it's like, first of all, no. Right. Right. (laughs) No. And like the law is actually a lot simpler than they're making it seem. If the official does a favor because of being taken to a baseball game, then yes, that's a bribe. Right. Roberts is trying to act like this might implicate all sorts of normal dynamics between politicians and constituents. But it would still need to be proven that the elected official did something in exchange for payment. Right. right? If a constituent donates money to a politician and then later, by coincidence, asks for a favor and the politician does it, that's not bribery. Right. It's only bribery if the politician agrees to do the favor in exchange for the money. Right. And like in this case, there were like emails, there's testimony 
from Williams himself, who was doing the bribing, like everything came together to pin these motherfuckers down. You're not just going to get corruption charges brought against random constituents who donated twenty seven dollars. Like, right. Right. It's just bullshit. It's just like a fake concern. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And I think like, uh, I don't know, this is so like incomprehensible. One of the things like I'm left with at the end of reading the opinion is truly how could this be unanimous? You know, on this podcast, especially, we don't fucking expect anything good from the Supreme Court. We don't expect anything good from the liberals on the Supreme Court even, Mm -hmm. right? It's below them. It is. But this decision is 8-0 because Scalia died. So it's eight justices who are deciding this case. Again, there are four liberals. So if the four liberals had dissented here, that actually would have been a tie 4-4, which affirms the lower court. That would have affirmed the conviction. But instead, all four liberals are with the conservatives here. It's unanimous. You know, the only explanation that I like really have for this kind of result is that this is completely normal behavior, this bribery stuff, the quid pro quo. This is completely normal behavior for the wealthy and powerful in this Mm -hmm. country, right? Like they can't envision that these kinds of acts, this kind of behavior is actually illegal because it is so normal and such a sort of regular activity in the circles in which they are participating, right? Peter, you mentioned during prep, like, if you enforce these statutes aggressively, if you enforce the law against corruption and bribery that are in the federal code, if you do that aggressively, it really strips away, like, one of the main benefits of political power in this country, right? So, like, there's this idea of, like, entitlement, with these people that like if you have reached the sort of upper echelons of power, if you are in a position of political power, if you are a wealthy person in this country, that is a benefit that then you have earned. Right. right? To be able to deal with others in this way, to have extremely close relationships, including sort of financial relationships with politicians mm-hmm. about the issues that you would profit from. Right. right? This must be just completely normal to them. And that's the only way, like, I can explain that this decision is 8-0. I mean, the Roberts example speaks to it so much where he's just like, yes, yeah, you know, but what if you're taking your local senator to a baseball game? And it's like, you've forgotten what real human beings' uh, existences are, are like, right? right? No right. one knows their local politician. Like, <laughs> I don't know any fucking federal officials. Yeah. Half the country doesn't even vote because they think they're all crooks. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. And then of the ones that do vote and donate, like none of them have access, right? Like right. the only people that have access are like the fabulously wealthy, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just so obscene. I have a theory about the libs here, and it's based on reading like a lot of the opinion pieces at the time within legal circles. A lot of them were coming from big law liberals, like big time law firm partners publishing pieces about how this stuff is important for democracy and how to endorse a broad reading of the statute would be an impediment to people being able to interact with their representatives. Right. Now, what were those big law partners doing? They were protecting their clients who were all the insanely rich people who actually do have access exactly. to politicians. 
But if you're sitting in Kagan's seat, for example, maybe that comes across to you like consensus, right? All of the fancy litigators who usually file an amicus brief, all of a sudden they're on the side of the governor here, Mm -hmm. right? It looks to the justices like bipartisan consensus, but what it actually is, is elite consensus. Yeah. Uh, and they can't tell the difference anymore. Yeah. Right. And, you know, all of this is like particularly prescient right now because of, you know, we've been talking over the past few months about corruption at the Supreme Court, but in particular about the story of this Reverend Schenk guy mm-hmm. who, you know, has come out and talked about his own personal lobbying, basically, to Supreme Court justices, but talking about the regularity with which, you know, these kinds of powerful people, including lobbyists, including people who have very strong interests in front of the Supreme Court, in front of politicians, are whining and dining with them, having dinners with them regularly, visiting them at these annual Supreme Court events, mm-hmm. having dinner at the justices' houses, right? Yeah. You probably had like millionaires who wine and dine the Supreme Court justices just texting them like, please don't make our friendship illegal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sad face. Yeah. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's another level of sort of bullshit to this opinion where they, they say it raises federalism concerns because... <laughs> the states get to structure their relationship between their public officials and their and their residents of course like the problem is that like the governor controls the state executive branch which is the people who investigate and enforce the law yes right, <laughs> right. and in sitting governors i think have an interest in seeing that past instances of corruption go unpunished, yes. right, to be precise, that they themselves don't want to be the subject of corruption investigations. Right. Yeah. So this is a place where like, the federal government is uniquely well-suited to play a law enforcement role yes. in the structure of our government. And the court is stepping in and saying, actually, whoa, calm down. Do you really want to be policing Someone taking nearly $200,000 in bribes. <laughs> it's like, yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's what I want them to do. Yeah. That's absolutely it. There's something so hollow about that. Like, well, is this really the federal government's business that some businessman is bribing the governor of Virginia? It's like, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the governor of a whole fucking state. Yes, it's the federal government, government's <laughs> yeah. business. Yes. You know, there's something else I was thinking while you guys were just talking is that like sort of the background to this, and they mention it, is... Campaign finance, right? And the relationship between the wealthy yes. and politicians as a result of the court opening up campaign finance laws. And it's worth noting, like, if you had a double take when you heard that these people met when one of them lent his private plane to the other's campaign, and you're like, how could that possibly be legal? Virginia has no campaign finance limits. Cute. None. You can give as much money on the state level to state candidates as you want. So it is like particularly ripe for quid pro quo corruption in the campaign finance setting. Yeah. But this is like a culture of such permission 
that they're not even bothering like cloaking the bribes in the form of campaign finance. It's like, yeah, I'll buy you a Rolex. Right. Yeah. I'll loan you a personal loan right. to pay for beach houses you have that are like income property. Right. I mean, the fact that there's no caps on campaign donations makes this even more egregious. Right. right? Yeah. Because it's clearly not to aid the campaign or whatever in any in any specific way. Right. They're not even like pretending. Right. It's just like, this is a personal loan to you in exchange for you using the power of the governor to help my business, which is precisely what happened. Exactly. Like, there's right. no dispute that that is precisely what happened. The governor traded his influence to help a business in exchange for $175,000. Yeah. But that is not corruption. Right. And it's not a violation of the law because uh, he didn't commit an official act. <laughs> You know, so this case ends. I think this is really good because this case ends this line which says, there's no doubt that this case is distasteful. It may be worse than that. May It may be worse than that. <laughs> like, <laughs> it says, but our concern is not with the tawdry tales of Ferraris, Rolexes, and ball gowns, blah, blah, blah. It is instead with the broader legal implications of the government's boundless interpretations of the federal bribery statute, a more limited interpretation of the term official act leaves ample room for prosecuting corruption. And there were some articles that came out after this that are like, McDonald's of the United States, is this the end of public corruption campaigns? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people saying, maybe not, and maybe you could do this, right? And the court is literally saying it's not. And, you know, the Supreme Court is like, that's right. We are right. So we got to do something about that. We need to actually put an end to public corruption campaigns. And so they took out some more cases this term to make it even fucking harder to yep. prosecute public corruption. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. There are two, but one of them, I think, in particular, Prococo v. United States from this term is is good because it also has like campaign finance in the background. And this is one where like a very senior aide to then governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, resigned from office in order to run Cuomo's campaign, still maintained key card access, still attended government meetings where everybody else was a government official, still basically performed the duties of a senior aide to Cuomo while also running his campaign mm-hmm. right and then took like money in exchange for influence in the Cuomo administration and the question is whether this still counts as a public official in the bribery statutes oh god and the court seems very poised to say no it does not and they're really concerned that this is like way too loose of an interpretation of public official, including questioning from Elena Kagan, said that the argument went too far. It is one thing to prosecute officials who take a quote unquote little hiatus and engage in graft, knowing they will return to the government. But in focusing on whether someone was a functional government official, that would sweep in many other kinds of people seeking to influence official actions. Uh. This is from the New York Times write up of, of this story. We can't allow that. Right. <laughs> can't allow that. They are constantly dreaming of a world where the government is prosecuting tons of these cases right. against like random innocent people. Right. Like right. some grandma at a campaign rally is just getting arrested by the FBI. Like this shit is not happening. What are they concerned about? There are like a handful of these prosecutions every year. 
you can look at them and know that they're not out of control in any way. It's right. just it's just so fucking stupid. If anything, it's like there is an obvious, obvious problem of public corruption at state and local levels of the government. Yes. Because yes. their law enforcement is often not independent, not funded or set up to do public corruption investigations. The campaign finance watchdogs are less equipped. It's much cheaper to bankroll those elections, right? Like, yes, they're spending like hundreds of millions of dollars on Senate elections now, but you can buy 10 seats in the Florida State House for like a hundred grand, <laughs> you know? Right, right. <laughs> like, right. And then local papers are dead, right? There's just like infrastructure for this is vanishing. And accountability infrastructure, right? The accountability yeah. infrastructure is vanishing. And like, this is like the last line of defense here. Right. Yeah. And the Supreme Court is like, no, no, no. Yeah. What if this would allow for the prosecution of an effective lobbyist? That was a real question. Elena Kagan asked. <laughs> what if it would allow for the prosecution of an effective lobbyist? Oh, no. Just a really, really good lobbyist. A really, really good Not lobbyist. Not my favorite effective lobbyist. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> Something that I think is very funny is that this case has been sort of bouncing around on our list to do for a while. Yeah. In this case, was, we could have done this like week five of this podcast it's such a ridiculous ridiculous case <laughs> for sure and yeah we've been holding off for the right moment and we decided to do this you know when we were planning in like late november early december we were like all right it's time this will be a good episode to like come back from the break yeah with like we'll kick in the new year with like a banger with with fucking mcdonald bribery is legal right and then like multiple stories come out about the Supreme Court justices themselves being the targets of money influence campaigns. Yes. Multiple, multiple, yeah. like insane. One being this guy testifying before Congress talking about how like it was an open secret. Clarence Thomas knew what he was doing, that he was like trying to push anti-abortion politics at the court and he was buying access to the justices and Thomas was like, yeah, you're doing good. Keep, keep it up. Man. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, Reverend Shank, right? That guy. Yeah. That's yeah. Shank. Yeah. And then the other thing is like the Supreme court has some sort of foundation or something. And I guess people buy influence or, or at least try to by donating to this and getting even scant FaceTime with the justices, including like hundreds of thousands of dollars from like Chevron and other people who have interests before right. the court. Yeah. Who have cases in front of them. Every year I donate $20 and then I say, how about those abortion rights I've been asking for? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, looking back on this case, the timing was perfect because it's like also the subtext here, even before we knew these stories was like, the subtext was like, this would make so much of what we do illegal, right? Like, <laughs> this can't be illegal. We're the subject of money influence campaigns, yep. right? Yep. Like, right. And, and then it's like just explicit. Are you telling me that number one Supreme Court fan, the chairman of ExxonMobil, can't take me to a baseball game? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not just that, right? The New York Times reported that this charity that's part of the Supreme Court took $190,000 in secret donations from Chevron 
while the company had cases pending in front of the justices. There's nothing untoward there. Right. No. Secret donations to the right. Supreme Court. Yeah. yeah. No, I at the end of the day, there needs to be a mechanism for oil companies to secretly give money to a Supreme Court foundation. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's how democracy works. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Representative democracy, which is when oil companies pay money to unelected branches of government. Yeah. That's right. That's the sort of shit that when I hear about that, I salute the flag. <laughs> And just like another thing that's in the background of this, you know, and, and you guys both alluded to this about this is just how rich people act is like, I'm sure all the justices have friends who like donate 50 grand to Yale to make sure their kid gets accepted. And fucking Clarence Thomas has a wife who like blatantly is like a paid political operative, right? Right. That she then right. tries to use to like influence Thomas. Like this is not like a big revelation. Right. right. And uses Thomas to influence people around her in political circles, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. So this sort of like casual use of money to get small, you know, official favors, I think is just routine. It's routine in their lives. And so like, how could that possibly be illegal? There's something like missing in their brains about all of this. Like if a public official takes money <laughs> and then uses the power of the government to do something in exchange, I don't know why that can't be basically an across the board violation of the law. Right. Right. Yeah. It's so weird to look at that and think. Like, let's not get carried away. It's like, why not? Right. How often do they think people are paying politicians money right. and then asking for favors in exchange? There's something so surreal about it. You could also, by the way, like we were talking about this in prep. If they were really concerned about this impacting like the average person, then make it so that campaign contributions don't count. Right. Right. Like cannot be part of a bribery scheme. I mean, I don't even think they should do that. It's a very easy limiting principle. Right, exactly. If that was your concern, you could do that. But instead, they've decided to like tinker with the language of what is an official act such that doing half a dozen things to promote the public funding of a study just does not qualify for some reason. Right. I just don't like I can't take their arguments in good faith. It's just nonsense. It's just powerful people like sneering at us. That's yeah. what this opinion feels like. Yeah, yeah. And so this recent case too, it's like, you know, this is state level stuff again, but this structure where like an aide resigns and runs a campaign is very common. For sure. In federal elections. And what's especially common is high level aides resign and run super PACs. That's right. Which are supposed to be operated independently. Mm. And the idea being that as long as there's no coordination between the super PAC and the actual candidate, then there won't be any indebtedness. But meanwhile, these they're being run by like people who have been, you know, in the candidate's closest circle for years. If the candidate wins, will certainly be in their administration. It's just rife with opportunities for just blatant corruption. When you look back at like, Roberts court cases that like touch on public corruption, you can see that at least the conservatives on the court believe that there is a fundamental right 
to purchase political power. Yes. Right. You right. can mm-hmm. see it at a high level in cases like Citizens United. You know, they talk about the importance of letting extremely wealthy people spend money adjacent to political campaigns. Mm-hmm. You see it in FEC v. Cruz, where they expanded the ability of candidates to pay back personal loans with donor funds. And you see it very clearly here, where they are effectively legalizing numerous types of political bribery. In all of these cases, they are appealing to like broad principles about civic participation and pretending that all of this stuff is carefully woven into the fabric of our democracy, when in fact, it's actually just a cancerous outgrowth of our democracy. Yeah. And the rhetoric they use where they just sort of wrap this stuff in the American flag and talk about the magic of the Constitution, not any provision of the Constitution, but just generally, you know, it belies how hollow their argument is. This case is incoherent. I mean, incoherent. Utterly. What it really is, is a statement about where power is and where it should be. Right. Right. They believe that people like that, that have access to a governor that can pay the governor in exchange for uh, little government favors here and there, that people like that deserve that access, that they deserve that power. And this is the court putting like their stamp of approval on that. That's right. All right. Next week, Giles v. Harris, a case from the turn of the last century uh, about voting. Mm-hmm. So you know it's going to be great. <laughs> Special announcement, February 24th, we're doing a live show in Austin, Texas. Five Four Live! Tickets are on sale. Just go to 54pod.com and follow the links. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you there. Yeah. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a Patreon-only episode where we answer listener questions, which we haven't done in quite a while. So submit your questions if you have them and want them answered. Ideally smart, good questions, but if you have uh, some stupid questions, we'll take a small percentage of those as well. (laughs) Follow us on Twitter at 54pod. Follow us on Instagram at 54pod, all spelled out. Subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash 54pod all spelled out access to premium and ad free episodes access to all sorts of other content uh, our slack special events all kinds of shit we'll see you next week bye bye 5 to 4 is presented by Prologue Projects Rachel Ward is our producer Leon Nafok and Andrew Parsons provide editorial support our production manager is Persia Verlin and our assistant producer is Arlene Arevalo. Peter Murphy designed our website, 54pod.com. Our artwork is by Teddy Blanks at Chips NY, and our theme song is by Spatial Relations. I felt good. Yeah, I think that's good. Ah, it felt like a fucking banger to me. <laughs> 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 <laughs>